writes in the first chapter of that life is an ongoing series of nisyonas, of challenges that we have to confront. So tonight we're going to try to briefly focus on the different challenges that we have at different stages in life. And in particular, I'd like to focus on five transitions that we make over the course of our lifetime. The first one is the one from being dependent to independent. Second is single to marriage and family. The third is relinquishing dependence of our children, the the empty nest challenge. The fourth uh, is years of decline, whether physically, intellectually, and the fifth and the ultimate challenge is, is mortality. Now, we're going to talk in, in, in terms of topology. Not, not everyone encounters all these transitions, is, is called upon to face all these challenges, but certainly it's a topology which relates very much to most, if not all of us. The first transition from dependence to independence is one which, for the most part, happens rather naturally and, and with ease throughout the course of uh, infancy and childhood. So why, why discuss it? Um, for, for two reasons. First of all, e- even though that's, again, it happens naturally and, and it's behind all of us, um, I, I think if we'll reflect a little bit on, on what it means to be independent and why it's so important to be independent, we'll see that there are implications and, and applications for us, which perhaps are not so easily applied and not so easily implemented later in life as well. The Yibam Shalom implanted within us an instinct for, for independence. Right? Any, any parent who has watched uh, a toddler um, exercise uh, independence and, and try to manifest independence sees that, that we have within us an instinct which the Yibam Shalom embedded within us to, to be independent. And, and what's more, this is one of the central bakoshas that we have in, in benching, that we, we ask that we should never ever be dependent on others. Now, the, the point of, of this uh, request is not only that we should be spared of the shame and, and humiliation um, which is involved in being dependent upon others. That's certainly part of the Bakosha, but the, it goes beyond that. And the essence of the Bakosha is, is that to the extent that, that we feel dependent upon another person, so that detracts from what should be our absolute sense of dependence upon the Ribbon Shalom. And that's why it's so important for a person to feel independent, because it's only the degree to which we feel independent of other human beings, it's only to that degree that we can recognize and and experience our genuine and absolute dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why the Gemara says that the Avodaihem, that that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that uh, that we are His servants, and we're not supposed to be servants to others. Right? Rashi Al-Hatari quotes the famous Maimah Chazal, why is it that the, the Eved Ivri, the Jewish slave who opts to extend his, his term of uh, service 
with his master until, until the Yovel. So why is it that, that his ear is pierced? Because Ozen Shashama Bahasinai, the ear that heard in Har in on at Hasinai, Kili Bene Israel Avodim, Bene Israel is supposed to be Mayavodim, the Holak, the Kono Odom Atsmo, and he acquires a master for himself, so that ear should be punished. That ear should be should be pierced. Because but by having a master upon whom one is dependent, to whom one is beholden, so then that detracts, that interferes with our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's for this reason that we place such a premium, that the Rebbe Shalom gave us such an instinct, and, that, and it's a central bakasha which is featured in the benching, that, that we be independent, because it's only to the degree that we're independent of others that we can genuinely feel and recognize our absolute dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The a, a, a tremendously inspiring example, which uh, which I used to see. I, I don't know how many uh, how many comparable examples that there were to see. M- many of you w- will know that the Varun Salavechik, the Chon Levacha, suffered a very debilitating uh, stroke many years before his uh, his petira. And the one side of his body was basically. Basically, uh, he, he couldn't function with it. The only thing it did is it was a source of, uh, of constant pain. It's a source of constant pain, but, but uh, the, the hand, he, he had to drag the, 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 his, his foot, his leg, and walking, and the hand couldn't. So one, one morning, I saw him in the base medrash after he was davening. In the main base medrash, he was putting his film away. And it was such an ordeal, such an ordeal. Just try someday to put your film away using, using one hand. So, uh, so I went over and, and asked if I could do it. And asked if I could do it. So he, he very adamantly said no. Appreciatively, but adamantly said no. And said, no, I have to train myself that I should be able to do it. I should be able to do it. And, and, and this, for me, exemplified, it epitomized that, that you have to, that a person has to be independent, as independent as he can be of others, because that way I don't feel dependent upon the other person. That way I recognize that my ultimate dependence and real dependence is upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's really that sense of independence which was supposed to develop again as we uh, mature through uh, infancy and childhood into adulthood. It's that sense of independence that we're supposed to acquire. If we have that, so then we'll recognize that there are challenges later in life as well. Very often in, in the workplace, it's, it's natural to sort of feel dependent upon one's boss, especially in, in difficult uh, economic times, if there's an economic uh, downturn and it's not so easy to find employment. And sometimes there are very real and great pressures in the workplace, whether it's to pad the, pad the bill in terms of uh, listing how many hours, uh, be it a lawyer, be it whatever professional devoted to a job so the, the client can, can be billed, not accordingly, but can be presented with an exaggerated bill, whether it's Kneva's Das, whether it's misrepresenting common, common business tactics. So here is, is, is an Isayan, again, of, well, do I feel dependent upon another human being? Have I really, did I really grow into adulthood? And, and develop a genuine sense of independence because a genuine sense of independence means that I feel dependent only on the Rebbe Shalom. I don't think my panosa comes 
from my boss. I think the Panasa comes from the Ivanashlam. And therefore, I'm not going to be complicit. I'm not going to pad the bill. I'm not going to... I'm not going to engage in, in, in misrepresentation. Let's say for, for Rabon and Mechanchem, people who teach Torah. So very often, there are certain areas in, in which the Torah way of thinking and Torah patterns of thought are out of sync with the Western patterns of thought and, and Western mentality. And there are a lot of... Lot of uh, there are some areas where, again, because... Unfortunately, we, we don't grow up in such a pristine Torah environment and because our way of thinking is influenced by the Western world around us, so there are some areas in which we're sometimes out of sync and therefore there are things in Torah which are politically incorrect. And to be able to stand up, again, whether it's a Rav or whether it's a, a Mechanech or for that matter whether it's Balabatim in Shul if there's some kind of debate and to be able to stand up for what's Torah true, but politically incorrect, so here too, it's, it's a challenge as to whether or not we really grew into adulthood with a genuine sense of, of independence, or whether or not we feel, again, dependent upon social approval, upon being politically correct at all times. The second transition we mentioned, again, for probably for, for most in, in the audience, this is, is one that on, on one level is, is, is already behind us, that we've passed already, is the transition from being single to, to marriage and, and family. The, the Gemara describes the obligation of, of a husband to a wife, that oava kagufo, and Mechabda Yosem that he's supposed to love her like he loves himself and uh, accord her even greater respect than, than he accords himself. What's the, what is it that would, what is this challenge of making the transition? So basically, the, the essence of, uh, of uh, entering into marriage, of having a family, is that from that point on in life, so a person has to constantly be thinking about someone else. Okay, even at an earlier stage in life, so we have parents, but it's obviously not the same. It's obviously not the same. Basically, a person makes decisions, taking his own considerations into account, and that's what allows him to make decisions. From the time a person gets married and then has children, so then everything has to be calculated, everything has to be calibrated according to what the effects will be on one's spouse and, and one's children as well. Or in other words, the, the, the essence of this challenge is to cultivate a personality of chesed. Now what does that mean? What does it mean? What, what is the essence of a, a personality of chesed? So there is a, a, a very famous well-known story with, with, with the Beis HaLevi about how, with which uh, we're all familiar, how this woman comes to the Beis HaLevi and, um, and asks him whether or not she can use milk for the Avakosos at the Seder. So the Beis HaLevi uh, addresses the question with, uh, with great COVID rush very seriously and says, no, I don't think so. And then he goes over to his money drawer and says... Uh, here, by the way, there's some extra funds here. I'd like you to use it for Fetzarke So the intimates of the Beis HaLevi who witnessed the scene, so they asked the Beis HaLevi, a woman comes and she asks you a foolish question. 
And not only do you, uh, do you sort of pretend that the question was a very difficult and challenging question, but then you reward her by giving her, uh, by giving her all, all these, uh, the funds for Yontif. So the Beis HaLevi answered, he says, first of all, if you don't take a question seriously, so next time they won't come with a question. So every question has to be taken seriously. And second of all, he says, she may never have been taught, she may never have been taught that you can't use milk for Rebellicosa. She certainly knows that after eating fleshics, you don't drink milk. That everyone knows. If she was considering using milk for Rebellicosa, so that obviously means that she's so poor that she can't even afford to buy meat or chicken for Yomtev. That's why I gave her the, the, the Tzarke HaChag. That, that's one story. Second story. I, I don't know if the second story is, is, uh, is, is supposed to be factual, um, or, but it's, it's certainly true in, in, in the most profound sense. The story is, is told, uh, I once heard, of a, uh, a rabbi, and, and he's, he's praying a tish at, at, at Shalashudas. And uh, he's speaking in, 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 in Yiddish, of course, and, and the Hasidim are, are gathered around and they're listening to the rabbi speak and they're swaying with every word and, and, and they, feel the, they feel a sense of being elevated. And then all of a sudden this, this boorish farmer pushes his way to the front and, and makes his way to the front and, and he interrupts the, 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 the rabbi and he does, he's not even speaking Yiddish, he can't even speak a, a word of Yiddish, he's speaking uh, Polish or, or whatever the vernacular is. And, and, and he says, uh, Rabbi, I have a problem that my, my horse doesn't, doesn't work the way it used to. It doesn't pull the wagon the way it used to. So the Rabbi said, try putting some sugar in with the oats, and maybe that will help. Then he, the, the Rabbi resumes the Zivay Torah, and the them again, they're, they're, they're soaring, they're soaring. The farmer again interrupts, again, the same chutzpahdikah farmer interrupts, and says, Rabbi, but the, the horse also seems to be limping. I don't think sugar is going to do that. So the Rabbi says, if I were you, I would check the, the horseshoes. It could be that, it, that the horse needs new, new horseshoes. And maybe that, will, uh, maybe that will alleviate the problem. So he resumes, the Rabbi resumes, Chassidim have the same reaction. Third time, Psalm is about to interrupt. So at this point, the Chassidim are ready to rip him when someone Enough. Enough. Their, their, their patience has long since been exhausted. So the rabbi turns to them and says to them in Yiddish, knowing that the, the farmer won't understand so that he won't be embarrassed, he says to them, don't you understand what's happening here? He's not interested in the horse. He knows that I have no great expertise in horses. That's not what he's interested in. He has a desire to come closer to the Ivana Shalom. But he never, he's, he's a poor person. He never went to Cheder. So when you want to come closer to the Ivana Shalom, so you ask me a, a kasha about a gemara. You ask me about a pasuk chumash with Rashi. He doesn't know anything. The only language he can speak is about horses. So that's the only language he can speak. But he's trying to engage me in conversation because he really wants to come closer to the Ram Shalom. So leave him. Let him ask whatever he wants to ask. So what, what's the point of those two stories? Beautiful stories. Is that the essence of chesed is the ability to see the world from the other person's perspective. Even the story with the Beis HaLevi is too often what's emphasized is his genius and his ingenuity in, in, in reconstructing and figuring out what the woman's circumstances were. But, but that, that sort of misses the point. Uh, 
not to detract from his genius and ingenuity, but that sort of misses the point, that the, the real point uh, to be stressed here is that the Beis HaLevi, instead of seeing it from his perspective, so from his perspective, it was a, a woman bothering him with a foolish question. But from her perspective, he was able to see the poverty which prompted the question, the dire of poverty which, which prompted the question. And the same difference existed between the, the, the Rebbe's reaction and his interpretation of the, the farmer's intrusions and interruptions and that of the Hasidim. The Hasidim saw it from their own perspective. So from their own perspective, this guy was a chotzuf, and, and he was being a nudnik, and they were ready to, to react accordingly. And the Rebbe understood for what it was, because the essence, again, the essence of a chassid personality is the ability not to see the world from our own perspective, but to see the world from someone else's perspective. And that's basically what the essence of the second challenge of, of, of making the transition from life as a single individual to, to marriage and family consists of. The third of the transitions that we mentioned was the, the empty nest one. When uh, the children are all grown and uh, are all adults and uh, the parents are, are left alone. They're left alone. And this can be an extremely, extremely trying Nisayan, a very difficult challenge. And Almost paradoxically, right, the more devoted and the more selfless the parent has been throughout the years of uh, childhood, of, of the children's childhood, in terms of nurturing the children, so then the greater the challenge and the greater the Nisayan is, because the children stood at the center of, of the parent's life. Everything the parents, uh, especially, especially the mothers, maybe even more than the fathers, structure their life around providing for the needs of the children, around uh, nurturing them and, uh, and giving them a warm and, and, and the best environment possible that they should grow into, into healthy adults with proper self-esteem. And then, for so many years, again, the, the, this, this very rewarding and, 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 and wonderful preoccupation with the, with the children is at the center of one's life. And then, when you have the empty nest, so then the center of one's life seems to just be a, a, a painful void. So how, how do we deal with that? How, how do we cope with, with such a challenge? So here, just before addressing this directly, just like to, to mention one, one, one general observation. And that is that psychological change, changing oneself, whether it's, it's Tikan Hamidos, in terms of correcting a, a, a character trait, a character flaw, or, or whatever attitude we have, is something which comes about very gradually. Very gradually. The Rambam in, in, in Mount of Uchem goes so far as to say that, that the Torah didn't even totally outlaw all practices, all vestige practices of Avodah Zarah, but some of them the Torah just sort of redirected towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu because that would have represented too, too abrupt a shift for, for B'nai Yisrael at that point. Okay, so as Tamei Mitzvah, that's very problematic and the Ramban and others uh, criticized the Ramban for it, but the idea of gradualism, that people change gradually, that, that is certainly uh, agreed upon. That's how the, the, the Bali Musa explained 
the Gemara says that the tchelas, the, the, the blue strand in, in the tzitzis, is, is, is dom eleyam, that reminds us of the sea, and then the sea reminds us of the sky, and eventually it reminds us of the kisei akavot, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's throne, which reminds us of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Bali must say, so it's all shades of blue, or, or what, whatever the exact shade of Tchelis is. So why not just say that Tchelis reminds us directly of the Kisei covered? Why do you have to make so many stops along the way? So the Valim wants to say, no, that it illustrates the same principle of gradualism. That we can't make wholesale changes instantaneously. It's, it's not like flipping a switch. Accordingly, when we're dealing with especially these next three challenges, the, the empty nest or... or confronting old age and, and the decline which is sometimes associated with, the, with, 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 with old age and mortality, it's not something that a person can wait to think about and say, well, when I'll be that age, whatever that age is, so then I'll, I'll deal with it then. No, if a person hasn't been primed to deal with it, he or she is not going to be able to deal with it successfully then because, because of this psychological and, and religious reality of, of gradualism. If, the, if, if a person's values and attitudes already for 10 years, 20 years, his whole life has prepared him for this challenge, so then a person can successfully, can successfully encounter a, a, a challenge. But if, if I sort of ignore the challenge, no, the challenge is too scary to think about. It's too daunting to think about. So let me postpone it as long as I possibly can. So ignoring realities doesn't change realities. It just makes it all the more difficult to deal with when one doesn't have the benefit of, of dealing with them gradually. Now, so how, how, how does one prepare for that stage in life of, of emptiness? And again, especially if, as one should be, one has been a devoted parent where the welfare of the, of the young and growing children has been the, the primary consideration throughout life. So how, how do we deal with it? So the, the Torah in Pashas by Midbar describes the, the encampment of B'nai Yisrael in the Midbar. And that the way, the way we encamped was that the, the Mishkan was in the center. Around the Mishkan were the Levim. The Levim camped around the Mishkan. And then the twelve Shvatim, three on each side, um, they camped around, uh, around the Mishkan outside the Levim. Outside the Levim. So at the center of the encampment of the twelve Shvatim stood the Mishkan. So what, what does that represent? What, what is the Torah telling us? So what the Torah is telling us is that at the center of every human relationship, human relationship, whether it's husband-wife, whether it's parent-child, whether it's two best friends, two intimate friends, that the Ribbon Shalom, right, symbolized by the Mishkan, has to stand at the center of every human relationship. Of every human relationship. What does that mean? That means that, that one's, one's spouse, one's wife, one's husband... It's not that, well, I love the Yivama Shalom and, and uh, I reserve love for him, but then I also, independently, I also love my, my spouse, I love my children, I love my parents. No, each of those loves is supposed to be intertwined with love for the Yivama Shalom. Every human relationship is supposed to 
is supposed to play itself out, is supposed to be developed and cultivated in the shadow of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So one's, the, the foundation for one's love, for one's spouse, is that one's spouse is one's partner in, in, in one's life of Avodah Hashem. They work together. They work together as successful partnerships do. It doesn't mean that both people, if you have two people who are partners in a store, so the most productive is if one is waiting on customers and one is working in, in, the, in the back room. Well, one's uh, manning the, the, the cash register and, and one is uh, helping customers on, on the floor. It doesn't necessarily mean, a partnership doesn't mean that they're standing side by side the whole time, but there's a cooperative effort, there's a cooperative venture. So that's the foundation of, of one's uh, relationship with one's spouse. Again, this is my partner in the life of Avodah Hashem. Again, and one's love for children, one's love for children also should be that the Rebbeinu Shalom, the Rebbeinu Shalom gave me the bracha to be able to raise and teach and nurture his children. With however many children he blessed me, so it's, it's that many of his children that he, that he blessed me again with the privilege of raising them, of nurturing them, of transmitting the Masorah to them. So that all our relationships, the Mishkan is at the center of all our relationships. That's what's signified, what's symbolized by the fact that we camp around the Mishkan, that it's not that, well, I love the Rivon Shalom, but I also, I also love my parents, I also love my children, I also love my spouse. No, each of those loves has to be rooted in one's relationship, in one's love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, if that's the case, right, if, if that's how one, from, from day one, that's how one views and conceptualizes and most importantly experiences one's relationship with, with children, so then there's this sense of fulfillment to raise your children and to, to, see, to see your children as adults of the Hashem as adults standing on their own feet as the next generation in, in our Masoda so there's, there's no void there's no void because one's self-definition even during the child raising years one's self-definition was always that this is my Avodos Hashem at this stage in my life it's not that my self-definition is that I'm a father who devotes uh, 14 hours a day to, 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 to his children. No, my self-definition is that I'm, I'm Oved Hashem and at, th- at this stage in my life, what that entails, at this stage in my life, when my children are young, so what that entails is that much of my time and energy is directed, is devoted to them. But if that's the, if that's the perspective, so then the, the empty nest doesn't doesn't shake a person. It's not a void. It's just at different stages in life, there are different uh, balances and there are different there are different uh, avenues which our avodas Hashem points us towards. The, the fourth transition that we mentioned is that. I mean, we, we, we ask al tashlechenu le'ezikna. We ask that, that that we be spared this nisayon, and yet we see that that for whatever reason, 
we don't always merit that this that this bakasha be answered. Maybe it's not always in our best interests. So how does a person cope with that challenge of the decline which which sometimes accompanies old age? So first of all, Rabbeinu Bachya in in, in Chavos offers a, a perspective in general, on, on our vulnerability. Our vulnerability, right? As long as a person is perfectly healthy, so then, then, then we, we, we feel good and, and we function very well. But the slightest thing, the slightest thing goes wrong in that delicate balance, which is our, which, which, which is our body, and the person can be totally wiped out. And, and, and we have just, 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 we're so vulnerable. So why is it? Why do Vonshan create us so vulnerable? So Rabbeinu Bachi explains that really that this represents a tremendous kindness, a tremendous benefaction on the, on the part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why? Because I guess the biggest challenge in many ways, the perennial challenge, is for a person never to lose sight, again what we mentioned at the outset, of, of one's dependence upon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says Rabbeinu Bachi, if a person were we're not vulnerable. If a person weren't prone to illness, to sickness, if a person didn't have the most basic bodily needs, which just uh, drives home the point of our vulnerability, it would be very easy for a person to forget the Rebbe Shalom. It would be very easy for a person to feel, you know, I can, I can take care of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm independent. I'm autonomous. Why is it? Let's say we make a bracha every time a person, every time a person uh, uses the bathroom. So afterwards we make the bracha v'shayotzasod. So why is that an occasion for a bracha? So we thank Hakadosh Baruch Hu because if he, if our system doesn't function properly, if he hadn't created it just perfectly, so then we couldn't survive for an instant. Okay, but is that really occasion for thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I mean, either create us or don't create us. But, but if the Rebbe Shalom decides to create us, he has to create us in such a way that we're viable. So why is that an, an occasion for, for, for Hodor? So according to Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar, we understand, no, we're thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu precisely for this. For on the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created us that, that we can function, that we can do, we can think, we can act we can accomplish, but on the other hand, he created us with this underlying vulnerability which serves as a constant reminder to us of him and our dependence upon him. So whenever a person suffers decline, whenever a person suffers decline, so that should be an impetus to turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if, and if that's what, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu decrees, that, that, that a person... Again, whether it's physically, whether it's intellectually, that, that a person does suffer decline at, at the later stage in his life, so it needs to be understood that way. It needs to be understood as an impetus because the more we experience the vulnerability, so then the more we turn to the Rebona Shalom and, and the closer we become to him and the, and the more we recognize our dependence upon him, and it's in that context and with that perspective that the challenge of decline should be met. The, the other perspective on it is that I, I think the, the, the Svarim quote from the 
Hashem Tov HaKadosh on the Pasuk in Shir Hashirim that Smolo Tachas Leroshi Vimino Tachatkeni that Kaviyochel speaking anthropomorphically that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's left hand is, is under my, 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 my head and he embraces me with his right hand. So what does that mean? So we know that, that, that the right hand represents Rachamim, it represents uh, mercy, it represents uh, um, Chesed, and left represents Din. And what the Baal Shem Tov says is that there are some times when we, when we're over Hashem, and we experience HaKadosh Baruch Hu's right hand when HaKadosh Baruch Hu again gives us good health and gives us the vigor to be Ovid Hashem by being active and by, by utilizing our abilities and, and the abilities are, are, are impressive but then there are other moments in life of small otachas roshi and at those times so one has to recognize that accepting the Ratzon Hashem accepting the will of Hashem and, and accepting whatever, whatever adversity or suffering HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees fit that, that, that we should endure that that's also about the Hashem one of the hardest things and the most difficult things in, in dealing with adversity is the sense of futility is the sense of frustration but as one, if, if one recognizes again this, this fundamental teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, of small otachas Leroshi, so then there's nothing futile. If this is what the Rebbe Shalom wants, and by accepting it with, with equanimity, with, with emuna, so that's, it's, that in and of itself is a tremendous act of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And what's more, if it inspires others to, to similar emuna and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's an even greater act so then there's no futility and there's no sense of frustration. So these two perspectives, that the experience of vulnerability is one which is intended to bring us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, A, and B, that, that, that there is Avodah Hashem not only in being active, but in accepting the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is also a tremendous act of Avodah Hashem. Those are the, the attitudes that we need to internalize before we reach that stage in life in order, if we're asked to, to be able to deal with that challenge. Now the final uh, of the five challenges or transitions that we mentioned at the outset is that of mortality, is that of confronting mortality. And in many ways, this is certainly the greatest challenge and the greatest Nisayan we have because probably our strongest instinct and our most primal instinct is to live, is for self-preservation. And because that instinct is so strong in us to live, the prospect of death, Ahman al-Litzlan, invites and incites fear and dread on our part. So let's begin by, by sketching Yadus's attitude towards mortality. So the attitude of Yadus is, is diametrically opposed to that of uh, our society. That of our society is, is basically one of denial. And when denial begins to break down, so then we resort to, to distraction. But basically, intellectually, everyone knows, right? We, we, everyone knows that, 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 that we're all mortal 
but in terms of the society in, in which we live, so many, many people emotionally, not intellectually, emotionally don't live that way. Many people live as though as though they're immortal. Denial. And and when that denial is is pierced, when that denial is punctured, when Rahman al Islam is a death in the family, so then we resort to distraction. Right? And that's what we encounter too often when we go to a Vesa Ovel, Rahman al Islam, we, we see that instead of uh, Instead of talking about the mace, instead of talking about the, the nifta, in, instead of the, the, the conversation being conducive to the introspection, to the cheshbon nefesh which the Avelim are supposed to be making, so people are looking, it's, it's, it's misguided sincerity, it is sincerity, but, but, but misguided sincerity, so people are looking to distract them, as though the way we can help the Avelim nefesh is by distracting them from this from this ugly reality which they have to confront. So people come and, and, and people tell jokes and if they're not uh, outright telling jokes but you, you steer the conversation to, to every topic under the sun other than, other than what is the occasion and should be the focus of the Avelis. So the, the, the Western world, at least the, the contemporary Western world, again tries to deny mortality, and when that fails, so then we do our best to distract ourselves. The, the Torah's attitude, and, and this is something which, which, which we know and we say on a daily basis, is that we should have an acute and constant awareness of, of our mortality, right? Every morning when we say, Elokai Neshama, okay, we have the minig also of saying, Moda Ani, when we wake up in the morning, that we don't take for granted that we woke up in the morning. But then we say, in Elokai Neshama, that Ata Osid Litlami Meni, that you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the future, are going to take my Neshama away from me. When we go to sleep at night in, in Hamatil, Again, we don't take for granted. There's no, there's no, there's no assumption or presumption that, that of course we're going to wake up in the morning. Hakadosh please, please, allow us to wake up in the morning. So Yahadus wants very much to instill within us that we should have this creaturely awareness of, of our mortality. This is best dramatized by the halachas of Yoho, right? The fact that. In fact, that if you sell a field in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, so then that the, the sale is voided when the Yovel year comes and it goes back to the original owner. That even the, the Eved, the, the Eved Ivi, who, who had his ear pierced and he signed on really forever with his master, so he's set free at Yovel. Why? Because the Torah says, because you have to realize, you're only, you're only tenants with a short-term lease here. You can't, you can't sell anything in perpetuity because it's interesting according to one explanation according to Tosfus the reason we blow shofar at the end of Yom HaKippurim there are different explanations for the minute but according to one explanation we blow shofar because in the Yovel year so in Yom HaKippurim they used to blow shofar similar to the way we blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah so we commemorate that. So why do we commemorate every year? We commemorate what they did once every 50 years? Okay, so maybe that's the only way to do it because we don't count to the Yovel anymore since Yovel is not operative as man as there. But it would seem to be that there's a deeper reason as well and that is that the message of Yom HaKippurim 
which we should take away with us from that day is the same message as the message of Yovel. And therefore, that message of Kigayim Sashav Matan Mimadi, of being tenants on a short term lease, is one which we're supposed to take away with us at the end of the day in Yom Kippurim, and hence, Zechel Yovel, we blow that Tekiya at the end of davening. But the fact that the Torah wants to instill within us this awareness, this creaturely awareness of mortality, is not because the Torah is morbid or the Torah is encouraging morbidity. On the contrary, the, the, the the Torah very much values life and wants us to live life with zest. But the only way a, a person can have a real, real joie de vivre, the only way a person can have a real simcha sachayim and really live life to the fullest and to recognize how precious every moment is and what an invaluable opportunity every precious moment represents and offers is to know that time is not endless. And, and then a person can take advantage of it. So the Torah is not interested in encouraging morbidity. No. The Torah says, no, we should live and live the simcha. Live the simcha. But the only way to live genuinely the simcha and really to, to use our time is to have this awareness that the time is not, uh, is not limitless and is not open-ended. So the, the awareness of mortality is not to instill morbidity but on the contrary, it's to enable us to live life to the fullest. It's because it's because Yadus is so focused on Hayom La'asosam, on, on Olam Hazah as the place where a person accomplishes and does. And, and this is the, the venue for, and the forum for action. It's for that reason, because life is so valued and because a person should live it to the fullest, the only way to live it to the fullest and the only way to have an appreciation for time is if a person realizes that time is not limitless. It's not, not op- open-ended. The famous story with, with Rabbi Sal Salanta, Sal Salanta was once walking along the, the street, I don't know, was it in Vilna? I'm not, not sure where, where, where it was. And, uh, and it was already, uh, it, was, it was after dusk, and he sees that it's very dark, but he sees that the shoemaker is still working. And he sees that, that all that's left is a little nub of, 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 of a candle, and the shoemaker is still there trying to get in a few last uh, blows with, with his hammer to fix a pair of shoes. So Abisal Salanta says to him, why don't, you, why don't you go home already? It's so late. No one's around already. And the, and the shoemaker answers him, no, he says, as long as the slechta labrent, as long as there's a little bit of light left, I want to take advantage to the fullest to, uh, to use every moment of illumination I have from the candle. So Yisrael Salanta says, Hashem nishmas adam. That's a person's attitude towards, towards life also. So Yahadus instills within us, if we, if we open our ears, if we're receptive to it, Yahadus instills within us an awareness of, of our mortality. Moreover, Yahadus says, that Hayom the Olam Hazah is, is the world again of attainment, of accomplishment, of achievement, and an Olam Haba is, is, is the, the, the place where we receive our reward. So, on the one hand, Yahadus is totally oriented towards Olam Hazah to make the most of Olam Hazah, but to make the most of Olam Hazah because we know that's how we best make the transition. Right? We're supposed to prepare ourselves in the empty chamber, represents, which, which is what Olam Hazer represents, 
before entering the, the banquet hall, the traklin, which is represented by, by Olam Haba. M- mortality is, is so difficult and, and even impossible to come to grips with. If a person lives his life in emotional denial of mortality, and it's a very, very sad experience, if you've ever had, to, to, to visit an older person who, for whom denial no longer works and for whom distraction doesn't work either. And now, and now with, with, with numbered days, so the person is, is staring at, at his own or her own mortality. And it's a very, there's no more tragic scene than, than a person who lives his whole life in, in denial and in distraction from, from that ultimate reality. So Yahadu says, no, that's the ultimate reality. It's not only just the ultimate reality, it's the ultimate destination. It's not an ultimate reality and, and uh, what can we do? Begrudgingly we have to deal with it. No, if that's the way the Yudom Shalom created the world, so that's good. If that's the way the Yom created the world, so it's not only that that's the ultimate reality, it's the ultimate destination. So Elamai, Elamai, so if a person lives his whole life in denial of that, trying to doing every, resorting to every possible uh, stratagem to distract himself from that, and then at the last moment he has to deal with that, so that's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. If a person lives his whole life with a healthy sense, not a morbid sense, God forbid, but a healthy sense, with joy, yeah, he goes to Hasana and he dances and he dances because the Yvonne Shalom says, yeah, cherish every moment and live every moment to the fullest. And a person does that, but a person does it with a healthy, a healthy sense of kigerim v'sashav matemi modi. So then a person, a person can can hope to be as ready as, as he possibly can for that ultimate transition. Again, not just an ultimate reality which we have to confront, but with the Rebbeinu Shalom, if that's the ultimate destination, then that's good. ma'od. In conclusion, the general thrust of the various transitions that we spoke about from, from dependence to independence um, from the, the, the coping with emptiness decline, mortality we also spoke from single to married and family but what's the general thrust? Is, is there a common denominator? so to at least four of the five that there is a common denominator and that is that the general thrust is that the transition is that we should be comfortable being alone with HaKadosh Baruch And that all of our busyness in life and all of our relationships and friendships, that none of this should, should eclipse or interfere or obstruct our cultivating a direct relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we grow to become independent. And we explained what does it mean to be independent? It means to sense and experience that our real dependence, our true dependence, is upon a Kaddish Baruch. Our children grow up and they, and they move, they get married, they move into their, their own homes. And maybe, maybe even if we're not fortunate enough to live in Eretz Yisrael, so they're fortunate enough to live in Eretz Yisrael. And they live far away from us again. So what is that again? It pushes us even more even more to cultivate that relationship 
one-on-one with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The same thing in terms of dealing with, with, with decline, if Achman al-Islam, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks that we deal with. And certainly in terms of confronting mortality, because that's the one Nisayan in, in life which everyone has to face as an individual. Right? That's the one thing which, which every one of us has to confront individually. So the common denominator of all these things is that we should, all these challenges, all these transitions, they're all transitions to be focused more and more on the Rebbe Shalom, more and more on, on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And if we try, if we genuinely want, then Haboli Toher Messiah